Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. And welcome inside the College Football Film Room alongside veteran scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg, and media days are here, Chris, which means the college football season is getting even closer to starting. Yeah, I think it's the time where fans start to get excited. You know, we talk about college football here all year long. There's really no downtime, but I, I sense the just from the fans, there's more and more talk. And I, you know, I don't know if it's people getting off for vacation and, you know, we're, we're like we're more than I think the 24th. So what are we today? We're they we're uh, we're about 16, 17. So we're a little bit uh, we're about a week away, five weeks away, I guess from that mm-hmm. first game week zero. So listen, practice is going to be starting for those teams, you know, teams like Miami and Florida. And uh, yeah, before you know it, uh, we'll be ready to go. So everybody's getting excited, you know, hearing their coaches talk and isn't it great. Everybody had a good off season. Everybody's excited. <laughs> everybody's good. Everybody likes the attitude. Everybody's going to win uh, at least nine games. Scott. I mean, everybody, I don't know if you know that, but, everybody's going to win between nine and 11 games this year. Oh, I, I, I didn't no know that. I, I didn't know everybody. That. <laughs> no one is going to have a losing season. It's amazing. It, and, you know, speaking of the five weeks starting next week here on the college football film room podcast, mm-hmm. we get into our power five previews. Now it's kind of self-explanatory. What's power five preview. We each week, we will take a different power five conference and preview that conference by, by a film room analysis and X's and O's analysis. As we head into the season, our power five previews start next week, right here on the college football film room podcast. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast coming up later on in this episode, we will talk to Kevin McGuire, college football talk on NBCSports.com, also contributes to the comeback and Athlon Sports. We'll go around the nation with him and find out exactly which teams and how many have a legit chance to win the national title. But we'll start with Media Days, Chris, because a lot of conversation had to do with, yes, the transfer rule, and yes, some certain uh, offseason, maybe rule changes or whatnot. But at SEC Media Days here on Tuesday, Jimbo Fisher was asked about an article that came out by Bleacher Report about a month ago where it it was kind of a a hack job, for lack of a better term, where Jimbo Fisher was given the blame for for the failures of Florida State over the past couple of seasons. And he was kind of defensive and just basically saying, you know, you got to have a tough skin. You got to learn that this is what's going to happen. People are going to come after you. I got nothing but respect for, for my time at FSU. When you saw this article and then when you see Jimbo Fisher's uh, defense of it, if you want to call that a defense, what are you thinking about? Because you've studied this team. You've studied them from a film room breakdown. A lot of this blame for their failure should fall on Willie Taggart, not Jimbo Fisher for leaving. Well, I think Jimbo handled it well. What is he going to do? Make excuses, say something, and you just got to just accept the fact that people are going to criticize. Let's call it what it is. It was an article that was pushed by the Florida State Administration that is trying to make a case for what appears to be at this stage. Okay, folks, one year, 
appears to be a, a bad hire in Willie Taggart. It was a disaster last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be better this year, but it's not going to be like a complete turnaround. It's not going to be like uh, they're going to flip around and win nine games. It's not going to happen. So when they get to a record that is going to be better than last year, but not very good, and the FSU fans continue to raise a holy hell, um, that, that they've got their built-in excuse. Hey, look, this is a disaster and all that. Let's, let's go through the facts. The last year of Jimbo Fisher, um, there is no doubt that he grew frustrated and weary with the administration. Now, I'm not going to get in the middle of a divorce. I'm just going to say that, you know, he got, he really got in a hissy fit with a lot of boosters as to, you know, the speed in which they were going to follow through on upgrading the facilities that he's been pushing for, for years and years and years. His philosophy was, if you want us to play with Clemson and be like Clemson and Alabama, you know, we need to have facilities that look like them. And they don't. Clemson is just light years ahead of Florida State in terms of facilities. And he's he's been pushing for that. And I think had uh, they been able to do that, he'd probably still be at Florida State. He got, I think, frustrated. And there is no doubt in his last year that he let go of the rope a little bit. I mean, I you know, he did not bust a grape on recruiting. He just he didn't do a very good job of that at all uh, in that last year. And I don't think they coached very well in his last year. Now, we all know what an outstanding coach that he is. But I, I, I think he, you know, I listen, I, I don't think it's too strong to say he kind of quit a little bit. Um, and I'm not going to say that it's justified because they didn't give him what he wanted. No, you, you don't do that. I also believe that the, that the movement to take the Texas A&M job was in the works for a long time. I think that was during the season. And I think that, that there was some other personal issues that, again, he wouldn't want to use as excuses. Um, a divorce, uh, and it, well, that's been going around for a long time. That wasn't the, the last year, but he's got um, a son that's got a you know pretty you know um, you know pretty severe sickness. So there's some personal issues there, but there's no doubt that he contributed to you know some of okay the last recruiting class. However, okay, the biggest problem that they got at Florida State is the fact that Willie was in over his head, and they were an awfully coached team last year yep they had more talent than they played not they are they really talented are they contenders in the ACC absolutely not but they had more talent than they showed and I while I think Willie made some changes that will help them we'll see how the movement to Kendall Browse uh, I think Harlan Barnett's a good defense coordinator we'll see what Kendall Browse can do with that offense but they were very disorganized and you can't blame Jimbo Fisher for guys not being able to line up in week seven, eight, nine, and ten. Uh, you can't even get guys in and out of the huddle right. That's coaching. That's not Jimbo. Uh, oh, he recruited bad guys, bad attitudes. Uh, listen, that's overstating it. Okay. Um, I think this. I think that Jimbo did get um oh frustrated to the point where he was looking for his next gig. And I think uh-huh. that contributed to a problem. But I think the biggest problem is that Florida State knows that they've got a coach that they're hoping, but they realize is probably not the answer. And they're hoping, and they they certainly, with their financial situation, don't want to have to buy the guy out after two years. If it's a disaster, like a two-win season, they're probably going to have to. I don't think it's going to be that. I think he's going to win enough games. Maybe they can go to a bowl game. 
Well, they missed out last year for the first time I, in I know. 36 years. Yeah, you know, I think, and remember, though, Jimbo's last year, they had to reschedule a game against Louisiana Monroe to get to a bowl yep. game that year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like – But they also – I mean, they, look, they also lost DeAndre Francois that year, they too. Did. So. They did. No, they did. But here's the point. Here's the issue. If you're Florida State, you're trying to sell Willie Taggart, what do you do? You get, you know, and I'm not saying I, I don't want to throw into the ethics of the reporter, but it wasn't a very good piece because it was very one-sided and it did in no way indicated that Willie, Ta- Willie Taggart had clean hands. I mean, he was responsible for nothing last year. I mean, give me a break. Uh, listen, it is the majority of the problem is Willie Taggart and he's going to have to fix it. Uh, Jimbo was very successful at Florida state. He did not do a, a good job in that last year, no doubt. Uh, I, I put more blame on the administration and them dragging their feet. I think that the program is not as – they let that program get um, weakened by the fact that Clemson's a lot better in terms of uh, facilities. And they're, they're, I don't think Florida State's recruiting is great. They're no longer recruiting top five in the country. There was a time where Jimbo had classes that were in that range. And Jimbo sure got top five classes going on at Texas A&M yep, right now. Yep, so, yep. listen, it's not the issue. Anybody that will question Jimbo's coaching ability doesn't know anything about football and doesn't know anything about coaching. You can criticize the fact that he, as I like to call it, let go of the rope in his final stages at Florida uh-huh. State. That's fair. But I think that the biggest issue is Willie Taggart. And for Willie, he's – Listen, some of these moves he's made on the coaching staff have to work this year. I think they will work to a degree in terms of getting better. Do I think Willie Taggart is the answer at Florida State long-term? I do not. I hope I'm wrong. I think coaching moves set you back. But I've never been as big a fan of Willie Taggart. He's supposed to be a great recruiter. Well, guess what? He's not recruiting in the top five in the country. Well, why not? He's going to. Well, the facilities are not as good. Well, my goodness, that's what they've been saying for years and years and why Jimbo got frustrated. So, mm-hmm. look, um, Manny Diaz is doing a pretty nice job at Miami. Dan Mullen is really knocking it dead. Florida State is has got a lot of work to do facility-wise. And if Willie's not recruiting top five classes in the country, then I don't know what Willie Taggart's doing there because that's his strength. It's certainly not as an on-the-field coach. And for those of you that are curious, the Superbook just released their updated uh, win totals for the 2019 season. Florida State, seven and a half wins. So if you're down on Willie Taggart and you're down on the Seminoles, you might want to put a little shekels on the under seven and a half wins for the Florida State Seminoles there. Let's look at it real quick. Let's look interesting at it number quick. to you? Is that an interesting yeah, number to you? Look at it real quick. Boise is going to be a big game on August 31st in Jacksonville. Yep. Um maybe starting a young quarterback or, or I, I think that FSU has got to win that game or it, it, if they don't, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get really ugly. Um, I think they, they win that game. They beat ULM. They're two and O before they go to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Louisville is a, is a complete rebuild. They, they can't lose that game. Go to wake. No gimme, uh, but should win it. Alabama state at the end of the year, they should win it. These BC, Listen, you know, that's tough. I think they, they, you've got to win that game. Uh, so the games are going to be at Virginia. Tough, question mark. NC State, big time, question mark. Clemson is a loss. Syracuse, mm-hmm. question mark. Miami, question mark. Florida, Florida is a loss. 
Yep. Absolute. So listen, um, I mean, I think they're, they're only two wins, excuse me, uh, only uh, uh, five wins, excuse me, six wins that I'd give them right now. Boise, ULM, Louisville, Wake, BC, and Alabama State. And I'm not so sure about Wake and BC. I, I just, you know, if you want to be generous, I, I think you got to go, You anything short of going to a bowl game is, it's going to be very, very nervous. And, and it's, and it's going to require them to beat, a couple of teams that, um, you know, quite frankly, coming off of last year, they didn't look like they were going to be able to do. But they do have – listen, they got more talent than Wake. They got more talent than BC. They've got more talent than Syracuse. They certainly got more talent than Louisville. They got more talent than Virginia. Got more talent than NC State. But they had it last year. Even though they were down by Florida State standards, they were more talented than some of the teams that they couldn't even line up against last year. So, listen – Folks, if it makes you Florida State fans and Florida State administrators, if it makes you feel better to think that it's all Jimbo's fault, hey, you know, fine. But the reality is it's, it's not. And I think football people will tell you that, you know, I would be willing to bet anything that I had that Willie Taggart's not going to win as many games at Florida State that Jimbo Fisher did. And I certainly don't think that Willie's going to have the success that Jimbo will ultimately have at AM. Although, mm-hmm. Florida State is a in in some ways a more intriguing job because you can win. I know you got Clemson. You can win in the ACC. Clemson's the only real threat there. Whereas at A and M, as I said before, I, mean, I don't care how good they play this year. The best they can do is eight and four, probably. Correct. And that's yeah. just a tough schedule. So I think the road's tougher at A and M, but I think. One thing that Jimbo has, he's got unlimited resources and they're willing to spend it, something that Florida State has not been able to do. And that's why they're in that boat. That's why they have Willie Taggart and not Jimbo Fisher. And that's why they've become a second-rate program relative to Clemson. That's and, the reality, Florida State fans. Yeah, and if you want to branch out nationally and even looking at the win totals uh, that were released by the Superbook here, the updated ones this past Sunday, there were only three teams in the nation, Chris, that are projected to win 11 games or more, right? And those three teams, one of them is projected at 11, is their over-under. The other two are 11 and a half over and under, which basically means those are the three best teams in the country and the three teams that have the best chances, you would say, or the best projections, you would say, to play for the national championship. Not so much just make it to the college football playoff, but actually win that semifinal game and go out there and win a national championship. And I think everyone listening here knows who those three teams are. It's Alabama, it's Clemson, and it's Georgia. And I don't think behind, besides those three teams, Chris, there are, there are certainly other teams that could make the playoff because, you know, they're going to win their conference, whether it's Ohio State in the Big Ten, maybe it's Oklahoma in the Big 12. I would put those three teams above anybody else in the country in terms of the three teams most likely to win the national title. All three of those teams and LSU, a pretty good team, all on AM schedule, by the way. So I do think that the national champion will come from – Alabama, Clemson, or Georgia. I, I do think that, you know, and listen, I think that people will say, oh, I put Georgia because, you know, they haven't done anything. Well, um, there's no doubt that in terms of titles, 
uh, Alabama and Clemson or the premier programs in the country. If you want to base it off of the last couple of years, three years, you put Clemson one and Alabama two. You want to go a little bit deeper past five, six years, it's Alabama one, Clemson two. Either way, um, I think chances are pretty good that they're going to end up in the national championship again. And think that it would be a shock if Clemson and Alabama don't make the playoffs. And it'll be a shock in my mind if they're not, you know, separated in the seedings to where they would likely meet up in the finals. Uh-huh. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, it's long season. We don't know. I think Georgia is the team that's closest personnel wise played Alabama very close. If not found a way to win, but the mm-hmm. fact that they have is, you know, is an indicator of where how good they are. Um, I think there's some flaws on Georgia, but they got a really good quarterback. Um, and we'll see how this plays out, but I think their chances are really good. Um, you know, and so I think I'd feel pretty good saying that they're on the one line in terms of the national championship caliber teams. Those are the teams that I believe that could not, hey, you, I know you got to, well, Sunso could get in it and anything can happen. Come on. Getting into the playoffs of the four seed, you know, very few teams, Michigan State, Washington, we've seen, they can make it. You can find a way to get in. But in my mind, I don't think a team other than those three look to be a national championship caliber team. Now, if those teams kind of come back to the pack, then maybe maybe so. But that's where I say, then I would look at teams like Ohio State and Oklahoma. Uh Yes. And say that they're, you know, could I see them make the playoffs? Yes. Can I see them winning the champion national championship? No. Below them, I'd probably put a Michigan, you know, uh, maybe an LSU, although that's, I think that they're even less than that. I think that they're unlikely to make the playoffs. But in Michigan's case, if Ohio State stumbles, a mm-hmm. one loss or an unbeaten Michigan would make it in but I don't think Michigan's capable of beating one of those three or four mentioned teams. Um, And again, could be wrong, may change my mind in December, in January. But but, but right now, looking at the roster, I don't see anybody other than those three winning a national championship roster-wise. And and we're we're gonna get into uh, this question a little further as we do our Power Five preview starting next week. When we, especially when we get into the Big Ten, we'll compare the rosters of Michigan to Ohio State. But just real quick on the over under numbers, I found it real interesting that Michigan was at ten and a half while Ohio State was at ten. So it's just maybe it's because Michigan's more of a national team; they're gonna draw more money. You know, they, they're just they have more of a national appeal than Ohio State in terms of the betting public. But I found that really interesting that Michigan was at ten and a half wins while Ohio State was at ten wins. But we'll break down those. You, you, you know, as we you know why that further. is. We're going to talk about it next week. You know why that is. I'm going to tell. I'm going to give you a theory as to why it is. Okay. Urban Meyer's not there anymore. Therefore, it's got to be Jim Harbaugh's year. And you know, because so he hasn't so beat him yet, Chris. He hasn't yeah. beat him yet. And, you know, we got a, you know, the, you know, Joe magazine, you know, guy (laughs) winning it. Therefore, that's it. I will get into it next week. And I'll tell you that, yeah, it could be Michigan's year. Ohio State is still clearly the most talented team in the Big Ten. But Michigan's got more of an experienced quarterback. We'll get into that more next week. But I think a lot of people are buying into Michigan as this is the if they don't beat Ohio State this year, they'll never win. Well, that's not true. 
but that's how people look at it. And uh, I think that's why people are buying Michigan. We'll see. Coming up in a couple of minutes here on the podcast, we're going to get into some underrated running backs around the country and also talk about LSU's offensive philosophy. But let's get more into the national landscape and talk about the teams with the potential to win the national championship this year with Kevin McGuire from College Football Talk, also contributes to Athlon Sports and the comeback as he joins me, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry here on the College Football Film Room Podcast. Kevin, I want to get your thought on the topic that Chris and I just kicked around because when you look at Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia, they are clearly on a different level than everybody else in the country, even the better teams like the Oklahomas, the Ohio States, the Michigans. Is the national champion going to come from those three teams? I would say it's a pretty safe bet, and I think when you have Alabama and Clemson playing for the national titles as often as they have over the last few years, you know, it seems kind of uh, likely that we're going to see another one of those matchups. So you know, feel pretty good. It's going to be one of those two teams. And yeah, if you want to throw Georgia in the conversation, I'm all for that. I just look at the way that these programs have been recruiting under Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. And we see what Kirby Smart's starting to do at Georgia, getting them rolling. Uh, it is it is tough to keep up with that. And I think we're going to see that once again this season. If you if you had somebody that you'd throw in, because if you if you go under that theory, and we don't know, uh, possibly way too early, but we'll just speculate. All right, let's say Georgia gets in. Um, maybe they're unbeaten. They still get into the playoffs. So you're looking at at least one team that you still got an opening to get in the playoffs, and maybe two, depending on if Georgia ends up losing two games and they look really good. So what or who do you like to maybe to get in? And even if they're maybe not national championship caliber, or if you think they are, uh, tell us who do you like that may be, you know, what you what you think is a national playoff and maybe even a national championship contender. That's not Clemson, Alabama, or Georgia. Yeah, I think there are two schools that quickly jumped in my mind, and they are schools that we are very familiar talking about with, with when it comes to the college football playoff. So Ohio State and Oklahoma. I still think they're the two best teams in their respective conferences going into the season. They've got a lot of talent, and they're kind of ahead of the curve compared to the rest of their conference. Maybe a school like Michigan's closing the gap a little bit with Ohio State. We'll see uh, what that has in store. But I still feel like those are the two most likely candidates because of their history. I think, the, again, the recruiting aspect does come into play. And I think even though you know, we've seen Oklahoma undergo a coaching change the last couple of years, that hasn't slowed them down. I don't think we're going to see Ohio State skip too many beats either this year with their coaching change and maybe with a few of their roster question marks. But the, the roster – as far as they're concerned, I think going into the year is still really talented. So there's a lot to like about what Ohio State could potentially do. And again, I don't think Oklahoma's going to be falling off this map, playoff map anytime soon. Well, Kevin, both of those schools that you mentioned are probably going to be led by transfer quarterbacks. Which player yep. is going to have more pressure on them this season, Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields? I actually think more pressure is probably going to put on, be put on Jalen Hurts. I mean, look at the two predecessors he has at Oklahoma. Yeah, Heisman Trophy and number one Lincoln picks, Riley. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a lot to live up to. And I don't think there's any stretch in the imagination that suggests that Jalen Hurts is going to be a number one pick in the NFL. I'll leave that to the NFL experts and the scouts to figure it out later on. But I think the odds are probably pretty good. That's probably not going to be the case. But, yeah, you're talking about number one draft picks two Heisman Trophy winners. There's a lot of uh, expectation there. But I don't think Jalen Hurts goes into that situation in Oklahoma unprepared. Uh, he certainly has experience on the field, uh, You know, basically a couple seasons as a starter at Alabama, getting them to the national championship game both those years. 
uh, don't forget. You know, I think that kind of gets glossed over under the Tua Tungle of Viola hype that Alabama has had, deservedly so. But, you know, Jalen Hurts is uh, not exactly uh, inexperienced whatsoever. So, I mean, he's, he may be playing slightly different style here, and I'm interested to see how that translates. But, you know, I think with all the, the, the bar that has been set so high at Oklahoma, that's going to be tough. Now, Justin Fields is going to be a little bit different. I think you know, he's still younger, uh, still getting waiting for his chance. And I think going to Ohio State, you know, again, some big shoes to fill there. Uh, but with a coach like Ryan Day in his first year, that may take some of the pressure off of him. I don't know. Uh, but, but I think you know, as far as pressure is concerned, there's probably a little bit more on Jalen Hurts going into the year. I think maybe for me the most intriguing storyline, there are plenty of them, um, would be Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. I want your take on it. A couple of things jump out at me. All right, everyone makes the assumption, and I, I, I think this is just is just too flippant to say this. Well, he's 0-4. If he doesn't beat Ohio State this year, he'll never beat him. You know, Urban Meyer's gone. you got to beat him. Uh, the game's in Ann Arbor. Last year was the first time that, uh, listen, Ohio State was a home dog and, and pulled the upset. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, Jim Harbaugh, the pressure is on him. And then you bring in Josh Gaddis to run the offense. Uh, I looked at the tape this spring. You see them running a lot of spread. I've known Jim and been around him a long time. And I know that if it works well early, great. But if it doesn't work all that well, I could see him just gnashing his teeth and trying to tinker with that offense. So I don't know about you. I just think that is maybe one of the more intriguing storylines, good or bad. It's going to be a story all year long. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, we're talking about Jim Harbaugh, who has been one of the biggest stories every season since he's come back to the college game. You know, certainly within the Big Ten, and you know, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, depending on the year nationally. But yeah, I would say there is pressure on Jim Harbaugh to finally get over at least one of these hurdles, either beating Ohio State or getting to the Big Ten Championship. You probably have to beat Ohio State to get to the Big Ten Championship, so you can kill two birds with one stone there if you can. Uh, but, yeah, I think you know all the, all the talk about this year has to be the year that Jim Harbaugh finally beats Ohio State. I think we're starting to get to that point where you know, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is at risk of losing his job or anything like that. But, you know, in this right. Michigan-Ohio State series, Coaches get fired for not beating the other team at some point. Now, maybe it's a little bit different now with the, the amount that these coaches are being paid. I don't know. But I do think it's fair to suggest that the pressure is going to increase every year that he can't get by Ohio State. Now, again, if he doesn't beat Ohio State, but he still gets into the Big Ten championship game, you know, that probably eases it a little bit. <laughs> I would think a lot, probably. But you know, I think this is a year where Michigan has a lot of cards on the table right now. Uh, with the the offensive attack that's supposed to be more wide open, like you were noting, uh, I'm very eager to see if that translates well and if that's something that they stick with. Because, like you were suggesting, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out at some point, I, I'm curious how how short of a leash is Jim Harbaugh going to have on Gaddis? Uh, I think it would be wise to let him try it out and see what happens, uh, because I do think that there's some good things that that could happen there. I just wonder, do they have all the players in place to play that kind of style consistently? especially against some of the better teams that they will face. All right, Kevin, I'm going to make this the last question because we got about uh, like a little over five minutes left in this call, okay? So, sure. if, you mm-hmm. know, wrap up in like two, three minutes here. Uh, coming down in three, two, and one. Kevin, finally, uh, Chris and I are going to get into some underrated running backs uh, around the country coming up uh, in, the, in our next segment here. But in terms of 
the the Heisman Trophy or you know the best player in the country that's not a quarterback because we can talk about Trevor Lawrence and Tua and and, J- and Justin Fields, Jake Fromm, all we want, Justin Herbert. But in terms of the running back position, and maybe it's a Heisman favorite, maybe it's not. Who's the guy or the two guys that you're looking at at that running back position this year? You know, I'm going to stick with uh, Ohio State as we were just talking about. I think J.K. Dobbins is going to be a real big player for Ohio State. We've seen what he can do. And I think with, you know, we were talking about Justin Fields. I think that he's going to be the guy that takes some of the pressure off. And I think if he has a really good, strong season and Ohio State's in that Big Ten title hunt, maybe a playoff hunt, I think he's certainly going to be on the radar at the end of the year. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins is a good one. I think I'm going to go DeAndre Swift at Georgia. I think he's the guy that I think everyone's – yeah, Mm -hmm. I think I I would put my money on him, right, Chris? Yeah, and I tell you what, the the Big Ten – well, there are a lot of good backs around the country, but, uh, you know, J.K. Dobbins got Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. but Oh, there's another one right there. But in terms of, you know, what normally happens is winning team and all that, I I can see that. Justin Fields, I think that what they're going to do is worth the running game. Uh, I think Kevin's right on it. I, I think J.K. Dobbins is explosive, and it's going to be a more run-oriented offense. And mm-hmm. I, I think the yards are going to be there, and I think the wins are going to be there. I, I still think Ohio State's, for all the talk about Michigan, Ohio State still got better talent uh, roster-wise. There's no doubt in that. But the quarterback situation is, you know, a little bit uncertain. So, yeah, I think Dobbins will be a big factor. That's a good one, Kevin. Might have to put a couple little, couple bucks on that where J.K. Dobbins <laughs> won the Heisman Trophy. Kevin, I appreciate the time joining us here on the College Football Film Room Podcast, and we'll have to get you on again real soon. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. There he is, Kevin McGuire. You read him on College Football Talk, also contributes to Athlon Sports and the comeback on Twitter. He's uh, Kevin on CFB, so that's uh, Kevin on College Football. Pretty easy there. Uh, Chris, let's move on to the portion where I just mentioned where we're going to be talking about the underrated running backs in the country. I I don't think J.K. Dobbins would fall into that category because I think he is rightfully rated as one of those top running backs in the country. But in terms of the underrated running backs, who in your mind really deserves more credit or more attention being paid to them as we head into 2019? I think there are a lot of good running backs that maybe are not on teams that are going to win enough to get noticed by a lot of the, you know, the mainstream media and fans. But Anthony McFarlane of Maryland is really good. This guy can really scoot. Um, I mean, he averaged almost eight yards per carry last year. He is a special running back. You look at the backs in the SEC, and we know how many great ones they are. If you're making a first team, you know, put two backs on it, I mean, it is it is tough. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. But to leave off Larry Roundtree of Missouri or Kayshawn Vaughn uh, of Vanderbilt, I, you know, I it, it's tough to do. Those guys can play for anybody in the SEC or in the country. Really good backs. I think Reggie Corbin of Illinois is outstanding. I love A.J. Dillon of Boston College. Oh, yeah, he's um, great. Big power guy that mm-hmm. can get good change of direction. Eno Benjamin out at Arizona State. Zach Moss at Utah. LaMichael Perrine of, uh, of Florida. You know, I think those are just some. There are many others, but those those are guys that, you know, if you're talking about the great backs, you're probably not mentioning their names in most cases. Uh, you know that there are other good, you know, about Jonathan Taylor and Travis Etienne and DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris and, you know, J.K. Dobbins. And, yeah, there, there are a lot of really good backs around the country. 
But those are some names that I think you need to keep an eye out on that can play anywhere for any team, and their numbers are going to be what it's going to be depending upon the type of team they are. If you've got a defense that's not very good, you're trailing in games, or you're throwing the football more. So it's going to skew the numbers a little bit. But I'm telling you, those guys not only are great college backs, but I think they're going to be great pro backs at the next level. Yeah, especially a guy like A.J. Dillon. I, I think he's got NFL written all over him. His size, his ability, you're just watching what he did last year for that Boston College team. You know, Steve adazio has got the, the perfect roster around him to, to kind of feed him, you know what I'm saying, and, and use him as their workhorse. I, I, I mean, I love what this kid did last year, and I can't wait to see what he does this year. Yeah, and I want to give, you know, okay, so some group of five guys that I think are worth keeping an eye on. I think Michael Warren of Cincinnati, Spencer Brown of Alabama, Birmingham, Patrick Taylor of Memphis um, are, are all really good backs. I think Jordan Cronkite of, of, of South Florida and James Robinson of Illinois State uh, and uh, Darrington Evans of, of Appalachian State and Greg McRae of Central Florida are some other guys to keep an eye out on that, uh, again, may be a little bit off the radar. Uh, and maybe you may not see many of their games, but they're really, really good backs that um, I think you're going to be excited about watching this football season. Before we head out of here, Chris, let's go to our Coach's Corner segment and talk about the offensive philosophy at LSU. And I'm not talking about Ed Orgeron running on the beach and falling down. Uh, I'm talking about what this team is going to do. I don't know if you saw that video or not or whether people – Somebody sent that to me. I'm not quite sure I got it. I don't know what the – I don't know what the deal was, but I, I saw it and I said, I'm not sure who the little guy is. He's chasing yeah. either. So. Uh, and I don't even know if that is Coach O, but he looks like him, but it was yeah. the funny video. I but don't know. Term- Did he say go Tigers? Because that's, that's, <laughs> that's a sure way to know for certain. But in terms of their on the field offensive philosophy, we've seen them kind of go through, uh, I'm not going to call it an identity crisis, but they, they've, they've changed over the years. So where do they head now heading into 2019? Well, I thought it was interesting because we've talked about it here this offseason, you know, a few times. Um, I thought it was interesting at media day. She talked about their offense and they're going to run a lot of RPOs and we're going to do that. Joe Brady, Brady, 29 year old assistant that came over from the Saints who previously worked at Penn State uh, for Joe Moorhead as when Joe was the coordinator at Penn State. Joe Moorhead, of course, is now the head coach at Mississippi State. Uh, that they are committed to running a little bit more RPL stuff. Spent a lot of time there this spring. They definitely are working a lot on that. Um, Joe Burrow is definitely a tough guy, a leader, a good decision maker. So I have no doubt that he can run that and make good decisions in that offense. What's going to be interesting to see is I still believe in his heart that Ed Orgeron is a downhill run coach, play good defense. Now he is, since he's gotten there and God love him. He's, he's, I think, you know, Les Miles didn't listen to anybody. And I think Ed listens to too many people. Um, When, when he got in, he said he was going to go out and hire a big name offensive guy. Then he goes out and hires Matt Canada. And that was a personality misfit. And that led to a lot of problems. But then he went ahead and promoted the guy that he wanted to hire in the first place, and that was to promote Steve Ensmeyer, who's still the offensive coordinator. But Steve still's kind of based, and in, in, in still uh, Steve's very eclectic, but not a dynamic play caller. Um, has a good feel, I think, a good coach, but I think they feel like they're missing something on offense. 
particularly as it relates to playing good defenses like Alabama, where they haven't scored a point in the last two years. They feel like they need to open it up, do some things differently. We're going to see how this works out because I think you can sometimes go too far the other way and get to where you're upping the tempo a lot. And then all of a sudden that great defense is on the field too much. Heck, we saw that a little bit with Alabama, even though Alabama didn't lose a game into the championship game, it affected them. So I, I bring this up and want to discuss it because I think it's a fine line between we got to get more points out of this offense, but I think you've got to change speeds a little bit, kind of like a pitcher's got to change speeds or else people are going to sit on the fastball all yep, the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that they can't get too far away from the fact that they're a really good defense and they got to run the football well, but they also need to be able to make more plays out of the passing game. They've got some good receivers They've got to take advantage of it. There's no doubt they need to be more balanced against the better teams. But in that process, if they get a little too aggressive, do they turn the football over deep in their territory? Do they cost themselves a game to where their defense is on the field a little too much? Things like that can jump up and bite you. And LSU's got no margin for error. After all, they are in the SEC West. Uh, They're not going to beat Alabama. So, you know, if you build your whole system around, we got to beat Alabama, then does it cost you a game? And then when you lose to Alabama, is it your second loss or your third? I think that's going to be interesting. And of course, Ed is a really good guy, a really good recruiter. He's not a great X's and O guy. He hires and he delegates. And I think when you do that and you don't have a heavy hand as a head coach, which he does not, then sometimes you can lose control of it. And he lost control when Matt Canada was the coordinator. He's not going to lose control with Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady. That's not going to happen How in terms of infighting or anything like that. But he could lose a little bit control of maybe they want at certain times to open up things where they maybe need to be a little bit more simplistic, and we'll see if that costs them. So I think that's going to be interesting. There is great expectations in Baton Rouge. I can tell you firsthand from what they think. They think this can be a great year. I think LSU's got a good team. I don't think they're national championship caliber, but I think they're a good team. And, I, you know, it's probably going to determine whether they can be a little bit better than good is to see what the offense can do. As a roster, only Alabama on their schedule has more talent. They have a little bit better talent overall than Florida and certainly better than A&M and a little bit better than Auburn. But all those games are challenges, um, and I do think it's not going to be anything easy to beat Texas in week, week two. So it's going to be an interesting stretch for LSU. Everyone, for every year we hear about their offense, is finally going to turn the corner. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question for them right now. And don't forget, folks, you can listen to Freak Podcasts every day on LandryFootball.com. From college football, including new daily conference podcasts, to the NFL deep into the scouting and coaching world, it's all at LandryFootball.com. Get complete breakdown of college and NFL rosters from detailed film room analysis. You can also get player grades. Learn how coaches and scouts evaluate players as they all prepare for the upcoming season. You just head to LandryFootball.com because Chris, you're on top of everything. 
Well, we try to do that. Uh, we work hard at it, and uh, certainly you're breaking down film all the time. Yeah, even in the offseason. What film are you looking at? Yeah, we're looking at film from last year. We're continuing to work our way through, you know, from high school recruits to college players and how they match up with this college season and how players project to the next level, pro players, breaking down NFL rosters, player grades on depth charts, the college and pro level, breaking down these conferences and in great detail and who the top players going through great detail. Listen, we touch the surface here as best we can on this podcast and bring you the top stories, the top analysis, uh, but there's a lot more that you can find over at LandryFootball.com. So check it out. we got a lot of free stuff, as Scott said. We also have for our member packages, great in-depth film room analysis, uh, on the college and pro game. So check us out. Follow me on Twitter at Landry Football and check out our scouting season sale over at LandryFootball.com. That'll get you the best package we've ever had for less than $50 for an entire year. You'll get all the breakdowns during the season, next off season. You name it, you'll have it at LandryFootball.com. That's great because you'll get also NFL free agency, all that stuff, including next season because you get a whole year when you sign up at LandryFootball.com. As Chris said, follow him on Twitter at LandryFootball for all the latest breaking news. Follow me on Twitter at ScottsOnAir. My thanks to Kevin McGuire for joining us here on the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the College Football Film Room podcast wherever you get your podcast from or check us out on believe.com that's b-l-e-a-v.com next week chris we get into our power five previews and i look forward to it man can't wait thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.